And there's Sarah. Welcome, everybody. We've reached the Torah portion called Chaye Sarah, meaning the life of Sarah. And uh, Barbara Mermel and her brother Andy Mermel are here, who uh, have been sitting Shiva um, for their mom, Helen, who I learned's name was Chaya Sarah. Um, so we can dedicate this Torah study to her. And uh, I want to say a blessing, and then we'll launch in. Baruch atadunai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kichanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok v'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, source of life, our God, whose presence fills the universe, who makes us holy with your mitzvot and has given us the mitzvah of engaging in words of Torah. Chayesar is a very um, beautiful, in a way, domestic interlude in the Torah, which the theme, if there's a theme that runs through Chayesara, it's the theme of loving kindness. And I actually want to focus on that today. Um, it begins with Sarah dying, Abraham mourning her, and then negotiating for the purchase of a burial cave so that he can bury her. And then in the next chapter, he needs to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And he sends his servant back to the old country to find a wife uh, for, for Isaac. And that chapter concludes with Rebecca agreeing to come back with Eliezer, the servant. We think of him as Eliezer because he's named that in other parts of the Torah, but here he's only not, he's not named Eliezer, we, but we're, we mush them together. So we call him Eliezer. And um, Rebecca and Isaac uh, love each other. And then in the next chapter, Abraham in his widowhood takes a new wife and has more children that we don't, we only learn about in this chapter. They're not part of the ongoing narrative of the Torah. And um, uh, then Abraham dies and his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, who we might have considered estranged based on uh, uh, hints we, we, we could interpret from earlier in their story come together and bury their father. And so all of these life events, deaths and marriages and um, families coming together, and it's, that's what, it's a beautiful portion that way. Now, what I wanna focus on today is just two days ago was the first yard site, the first anniversary of death of Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, who uh, was the chief rabbi of Great Britain and then 
uh, in retirement, uh, I think he spent a lot of time at NYU lecturing and writing. And he died too young of cancer um, last year at this time. When a great Torah scholar passes away, the traditional way to honor them is by teaching their Torah. And since this is the first anniversary of Rabbi Sachs's death, I wanted to teach his Torah, some of his Torah on this portion. I'm actually going to read to you uh, a piece he wrote about Chayasara that I think is so eloquent that I didn't want to um, try to summarize it. So uh, you'll forgive me for reading someone else's words, but it, I want to do it to honor this wonderful teacher. And uh, I want to prepare you for this reading by explaining that the word for loving kindness is um, chesed in Hebrew. And chesed gets repeated numerous times, especially in the story of Abraham's servant Eliezer going to find, uh, hopefully find us a mate for Isaac. Uh, and um, what I'm going to do, I don't think I'll share the screen with um, uh, Rabbi Sachs's words. I think I'll just read them to you. And let me bring them up. Hold on a minute. Where am I? No, I think if I share the screen, then I can also see your, some of your faces. So I think I'll share the screen, actually. And let me do that. Here we go. So this is Rabbi Sachs from, this reading is just from uh, 2015 originally. And I'm gonna read it to you. You can enjoy reading it yourself, but I just found it very moving. And this is to honor his, to his memory. In 1966, an 11-year-old black boy moved with his parents and family to a white neighborhood in Washington. Sitting with his two brothers and two sisters on the front step of the house, he waited to see how they would be greeted. They were not. Passersby turned to look at them, but no one gave them a smile or even a glance of recognition. All the fearful stories he had heard about how whites treated blacks seemed to be coming true. Years later, writing about those first days in their new home, he says, I knew we were not welcome here. I knew we would not be liked here. I knew we would have no friends here. I knew we should not have moved here. As he was thinking these thoughts, a white woman coming home from work passed by on the other side of the road. She turned to the children with a broad smile and with a broad smile said, welcome. Disappearing into the house, she emerged minutes later with a tray laden with drinks and sandwiches, which she brought over to the children. 
or making them feel at home. That moment, the young man later wrote, changed his life. It gave him a sense of belonging where there was none before. It made him realize at a time when race relations in the United States were still fraught, that a black family could feel at home in a white area and that there could be relationships that were colorblind. Over the years, he learned to admire much about the woman across the street, but it was that first spontaneous act of greeting that became for him a definitive memory. It broke down a wall of separation and turned strangers into friends. The young man, Stephen Carter, eventually became a law professor at Yale and wrote a book about what he learned that day. He called it Civility. I went ahead and looked up that book. Uh, makes me want to read it. He wrote it in 1997 or 99. And it's, I'll read you more about that later. It's, it's un unfortunately quite prescient, but also quite powerful. The name of the woman, he tells us, was Sarah Kestenbaum, and she died all too young. He adds that it was no coincidence that she was a religious Jew. In the Jewish tradition, he notes, such civility is called chesed, the doing of acts of kindness, which is in turn derived from the understanding that human beings are made in the image of God. Civility, he adds, itself may be seen as part of chesed. It does indeed require kindnesses toward our fellow citizens, including the ones who are strangers, and even when it is hard. To this day, he adds, I can close my eyes and feel on my tongue the smooth, slick sweetness of the cream cheese and jelly sandwiches that I gobbled on that summer afternoon when I discovered how a single act of genuine and unassuming civility can change a life forever. I never knew Sarah Kestenbaum, but years after I had read Carter's book, I gave a lecture to the Jewish community in the part of Washington where she had lived. I told them Carter's story, which they had not heard before, but they nodded in recognition. Yes, one said, that's the kind of thing Sarah would do. Something like this thought was surely in the mind of Abraham's servant, unnamed in the text, but traditionally identified as Eliezer when he arrived at Nahor in Aram Naharayim, northwest Mesopotamia, to find a wife for his master's son. Abraham had not told him to look for any specific traits of character. He had simply told him to find someone from his own extended family. Eliezer, however, formulated a test. So in the text, here, I'll, I'll expand on the text a little for you. <laughs> Eliezer took, this, the servant then took 10 of his master's camels, laden with abundant store of his master's goods, got up and went to Aram Naharayim, to the city of Nahor, where Abraham had come from. He made the camels kneel down outside the city at the water well at even time, even tide, at the time when the girls who draw water go forth. And he prayed. And this is the excerpt. Lord. God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness 
chesed to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that may, I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness, chesed, to my master. His use of the word chesed here is no accident, for it is the very characteristic he is looking for in the future wife of the first Jewish child, Isaac. And he found it in Rebecca. Because, let's see, does he, does he continue? Uh, no, I'll tell you the rest of the story in case you don't know it. Rebecca, before the man was done praying, Rebecca, who had been born to Betuel, son of Milcah, wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, like a second cousin, was going forth with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she was a beautiful girl of marriageable age, a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her pitcher, and went up. The slave ran toward her and said, please let me sip a little water from your pitcher. And she replied, drink, sir. Quickly, she lowered her pitcher on her hand and let him drink. The drinking done, she said, I will draw some for your camel, too, till they are done drinking. Quickly, she emptied her pitcher in the trough, and she again ran to the well to draw water, drawing water for all his camels. And the man stood staring at her, silent hoping that this was the one that God had sent. She runs to the well. If you recall in last week's portion, there, I'll just stop sharing for a second. If you recall in last week's portion, when the three men appear before Abraham during the heat of the day, he runs to them. He runs to the herd to get a, a calf. He runs to Sarah to tell her to prepare a meal. He, it's this hastening to do kindness. That is the quality of Abraham who is a so, and Sarah who are associated with the quality of chesed in Jewish mysticism uh, that they are looking for, that Eliezer, the servant, is looking for in the person who will join that family. There were stories about Sarah's tent in the Midrash and how they would keep the flaps open on all four sides to look for wayfarers that they could show kindness to. Okay, back to the story. Back to Rabbi Sachs, I mean. It is the theme also, Chesed, of the Book of Ruth. It is Ruth's kindness to Naomi and then Boaz's kindness to Ruth that Tanakh seeks to emphasize in sketching the background to David, their great-grandson, who would become Israel's greatest king. Indeed, the sages said that the three characteristics most important to Jewish character are modesty, compassion, and kindness. Um, Chesed, what I have defined elsewhere as 
love as deed is central to the Jewish value system. Love as deed, that's well said. Um, and uh, the uh, previous reference that the characteristics are modesty, compassion, and kindness probably draws from the famous saying of the prophet uh, Micah, who says, what is it I ask of you, says God, only this, to love justice, to do justice, to love mercy, compassion, kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So here's a quote. The sages based it on the acts of God himself. Rav Simlai taught, the Torah begins with an act of kindness and ends with an act of kindness. It begins with God clothing the naked. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And it ends with him caring for the dead. And God buried Moses in the valley. Chesed, providing shelter for the homeless, food for the hungry, assistance to the poor, visiting the sick, comforting mourners, and providing a dignified burial for all, became constitutive of Jewish life. During the many centuries of exile and dispersion, Jewish communities were built around those, these needs. There were chevrot, friendly societies for each of them. In 17th century Rome, for example, in the Jewish community, there were seven societies dedicated to the provision of clothes, shoes, linen, beds, and warm winter bed coverings for children, the poor, widows, and prisoners. There were two societies providing trousseaus, dowries, and the loan of jewelry to poor brides. There was one for visiting the sick, another bringing help to families who had suffered bereavement, and others to perform the last rites for those who had died, called Hevra Kadisha, purification before burial, and the burial service itself. Eleven fellowships existed for educational and religious aims, study and prayer, and another raised alms for Jewish Jews living in the Holy Land, and others were involved in the various activities associated with the circumcision of newborn boys. Yet others provided the poor with the means to fulfill commands, such as mezuzot for their doors, oil for the Hanukkah lights, and candles for the Sabbath. Chesed, said the sages, is in some respect higher even than tzedakah. Our masters taught, loving kindness, chesed, is greater than charity, tzedakah, in three ways. Charity is done with one's money, while loving kindness may be done with one's money or with one's person. Charity is done only to the poor, while loving kindness may be given both to the poor and to the rich. Charity is given only to the living, while loving kindness may be shown to the living and to the dead. And that's from the Talmud, I didn't know that passage. I love that. Chesed in its many forms became synonymous with Jewish life and one of the pillars on which it stood. Jews performed kindnesses to one another because it was the way of God and also because they or their families had had intimate experience of suffering 
and knew they had nowhere else to turn. It provided an access of grace in dark times. It softened the blow of the loss of the temple and its rights. Another quote. Once, as Rabbi Yochanan was walking out of Jerusalem, Rabbi Joshua followed him. Seeing the temple in ruins, Rabbi Joshua cried, woe to us that this place is in ruins, the place where atonement was made for Israel's iniquities. Rabbi Yochanan said to him, my son, do not grieve, for we have another means of atonement, which is no less effective. What is it? It is deeds of loving kindness, about which scripture says, I desire loving kindness and not sacrifice from the book of Hosea. Through Chesed, Jews humanized fate as they believed God's chesed humanizes the world. As God acts towards us with love, so we are called on to act lovingly to one another. The world does not operate solely on the basis of impersonal principles like power or justice, but also on the deeply personal basis of vulnerability, attachment, care and concern, recognizing us as individuals with unique needs and potentialities. It also added a word to the English language. In 1535, Miles Coverdale published the first ever translation of the Hebrew Bible into English. The work had been begun by William Tyndale, who paid for it with his life, burnt at the stake in 1536. Well, that's another story, isn't it? It was when he came to the word chesed, Coverdale realized that there was no English word which captured its meaning. It was then that, to translate it, he coined the word loving kindness. The late Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel used to say, when I was young, I admired cleverness. Now that I'm old, I find I admire kindness more. There is deep wisdom in those words. It is what led Eliezer to choose Rebecca to become Isaac's wife, and thus the first Jewish bride. Kindness brings redemption to the world, and as in the case of Stephen Carter, it can change lives. Wordsworth was right when he wrote that the best portion of a good man and woman's life is their little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. I wanted to read that in memory of Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Doesn't he write beautifully? Um, so I went and looked at uh, Stephen Carter work, the man he tells the story about. He's a Yale professor, a law professor at Yale, and also a very committed Christian, African-American. And um, he wrote a book called Integrity. Hmm, thank you. He wrote a book called Integrity. 
And he wrote a book called Civility in the 90s. So I'm going to read you one more thing that is not my words today. I want to read you the description on Amazon on the publisher, the, the publisher's description of the book Civility. I'm going to share the screen one more time. He wrote this book in 1999. Something horrible has happened to civility. We can no longer hold political discussions without screaming at each other. So our democracy is dying. We can no longer look at strangers without suspicion and even hostility. So our social life is dying. We can no longer hold public conversation about morality without trading vicious accusations. So our moral life is dying. All the skills of living a common life, what Alexis de Tocqueville called the etiquette of democracy, are collapsing around us and nobody seems to know how to shore them up again. Stephen Carter, author of the bestseller, The Culture of Disbelief, argues that civility is disintegrating because we have forgotten the obligations we owe to each other and are awash instead in a sea of self-indulgence. Neither liberals nor conservatives can help us much, Carter explains, because each political movement in a different way exemplifies what has become the principal value of modern America, that what matters most is not the needs or hopes of others, but simply getting what we want. Taking inspiration from the abolitionist sermons of the 19th century, Carter proposes to rebuild our public and private lives around the fundamental rule that we must love our neighbors, a tenet of all the world's great religion. Drawing on such diverse disciplines as law, theology, and psychology, he investigates many of the fundamental institutions of society, including the family, churches, and schools, and illustrates how each one must do more to promote the virtue of civility. Through it all, Carter emphasizes that loving our neighbors has little to do with how we feel and everything to do with how we choose to act. The true test of civility is whether our love and concern is whether out of our love, out of love and concern for others, we will discipline our individual desires and work for the common good. That book is called, there, the etiquette of democracies. I'm tempted to read it. Okay. I wanted to read that to you because acts of chesed in the Jewish tradition and Carter's take on love your neighbor and yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, are completely aligned. Um, they're saying the same, they're saying exactly the same thing, which when we read Kadoshi, when we've discussed the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, we see that in Hebrew, that is a transitive verb to love. It's not a feeling. It's not an ex inner experience. It's an action verb. And we know what it means 
to be to show loving kindness. It's not a mystery. And one of the tricks is to be able to do it when you don't feel like it. Uh, because it's an obligation. That's why in Hebrew, mitzvah doesn't mean suggestion. Right? Mitzvah means commandment. In the language of traditional, of traditional Judaism, God commands us. If we don't think of God necessarily as a commanding being, I would suggest we could translate the word mitzvah as a sacred obligation of being a Jew, right? So we don't get caught up and hung up on, um, uh, I don't want to be commanded to do something, right? Who is this commanding presence? I don't know this, you know. So rather than get caught up in that old language of command, uh, I like to think of it as sacred obligation. And it is. Any Jew that takes Judaism seriously, it is our sacred obligation to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show, to act in ways of loving and kindness to our neighbors, not because we feel like it or even because we love them um, or like them. That makes the world go round. We certainly don't know what's going to be happening to our country, to our society, I should say, in the coming years. And I was reading more of Stephen Carter's words, and he calls these obligations to, be, to show kindness and civility pre-political, which I thought was a good word. And I wanted to share that with you as well. Oh, Rabbi Ellen, you have your hand up. I didn't notice. Uh, let me finish this sentence, and then uh, I'll call on you. Oh, yes, we'll put the name of the book and of Rabbi Sachs's uh, website into chat. Um, I just saying that word pre-political in Stephen Carter's work, I thought was really great because he's trying to find a way to transcend the polarization of our uh, political dialogue. Uh, dialogue's not even the right word anymore. Our political yammering. Um, and uh, I want to share that phrase with you too. These acts of kindness, this civility, and his other book that he wrote before this called Integrity are all pre-political qualities that he thinks we, that he's trying to emphasize for us. Rabbi Ellen? Um, Rabbi Shai Held teaches, I, when, when you saw the, when we saw the blurb for Stephen Carter's book, I thought of Rabbi Held immediately because he teaches that um, behaving in a loving way towards, um, towards others uh, because we want to be, be like God, because God does justly and kindness to us, and we therefore want to extend that. But we do it even when we don't feel like it, because it sets off a virtuous cycle, the, and Maimonides teaches that too, I, he said, um, the more you do it, the better you feel about yourself and having done, done good, uh, behaved well towards others and acted generously, and it, it, it feeds on itself because um, um, 
it makes you want to do it more. Thank so you. Even if you don't feel like it, do it anyway. And that Maimonides teaching is predated by the Pirkeavot, um, the ethic, the the aphorisms of the sages, the wisdom saying, where it says, "Mitzvah goreret mitzvah, avira goreret avira, liot tzadik zetov maod." Right? Uh, mitzvah, doing a mitzvah goreret means to. Uh, it uh, draws. It's a tow truck. A goreret, you know. So, uh, doing a mitzvah draws forth another mitzvah, sort of in its wake, creates a, a creates a um, um, you know creates a a, a draw, and uh, avera transgressions draw forth more transgressions. I mean, we all know this is true. Um, uh, so yes, the virtuous cycle really gets created. Thank you. The fact that Carter's book, we draw from a well. Thank you, Rob. Stephen Carter's book, the fact that he wrote these books in the night in 1999. And if we think back, oh, right. Newt Gingrich was Speaker of the House, blowing up any chance of civil discourse. Um, the, the Clinton impeachment had just happened. The, and we were stunned and now 20 years later more it, it's almost like you can't even tell how fa how things are degrading because you get used to it not used not used to but you, you it becomes the new normal and there's that saying from who um who was margaret mead's husband gregory bateson who said that uh uh if you and this has gotten repeated over and over again, maybe out of context, I don't even know if it's true that if you place a frog in a frying pan with cold water and you turn up the heat really, really, really slowly, the frog boils to death without recognizing what has happened. So that's, that's the horrible metaphor that comes to mind. But here we are, 20 years later, so much more degraded. And yet, I don't want to just be depressing because everyone, countless numbers of people every day are checking themselves, restraining themselves from lashing out, acting with kindness and love instead. Continuously, everywhere, so many of us with that goodwill. And that sense of obligation, that this is our duty to do this, that this is what makes the world go round. So, let me just, uh, hold on one sec. Ah, yes, early voting. Thank you. Thanks for reminding us. And election day next Tuesday. Another another obligation of uh, living in a in a civic society. 
So I still have some time. So I want to turn to another passage in the portion, unless anyone else has something they'd like to share about uh, what we just read in, uh, in memory of Rabbi Sack. Senator Warnock calls vote prayers. Yeah, and one of the most compelling metaphors that we have in our recent tradition, when Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who uh, uh, Rabbi Sachs cites in his piece, uh, marched with uh, Martin Luther King and so many others on the march from Selma to Montgomery. Uh, he wrote King a letter later that says, I felt that my legs were praying. And that phrase is always worth repeating, that it is the action that we do, that we can fill up with our prayerful intention. I felt my legs were praying. Yeah, that's a wow, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, I hope we can all live and live our lives in ways where we feel like our actions are prayer, our expression of our prayerful selves. So since we have a few minutes to go, I want to go to later in the portion. Um, Rebecca is this loving, kind presence. And she agrees to go back with Eliezer. Ruth Hirsch says, the original world hospice meant both host and guest and connoted the pleasure in both receiving hospitality and an offering. Wow, I didn't know that, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you. So Rebecca is asked by her family, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent their sister Rebecca off with her nurse, with Abraham's slave, and with his men, and bestowed this blessing on Rebecca. Sister, may you become thousands of myriads. May your descendants take possession of the gates of their foes. And Rebecca and her servant girls got up and mounted the camels and followed the man as the slave took Rebecca and went off. Now, oh, I remember what I wanted to say. You know that there's this phrase, some of you know, gmilut chasadim, which means acts of loving kindness. That's how the phrase chesed gets turned into a um, action concept. Gmilut chasadim. And uh, Abigail, who's not here today, uh, but we'll be giving the Devar Torah this Saturday, has always taught us that it's interesting that Eliezer, the servant, comes with a caravan of camels who are called gamalim. The word gamal means camel. The word ligmol as a um, verb means to bestow. So, uh, uh, camels become for Abigail a central image of um, how to travel to bring kindness to people. Um, anyway, I'll let her talk about it on Sunday. 
on Saturday. But the reason there's a connection there is because milut chesed means acts of loving kindness, bestowing loving kindness. And in fact, the, the, um, the village associations that Rabbi Sachs was talking about in 17th century Rome, which continue to this day, especially in the Orthodox world, but also in, in other parts of the Jewish world, these societies, these, where, these, these organizations that bestow acts of kindness are called gemachs. And gemachs is, gemach is simply an, ac- an acronym for gemilut chesed, acts of loving kindness. If you go to an Orthodox, uh, they don't have phone books anymore. I guess you have to look online. But I remember when I was in Beit Chemesh in an Orthodox community visiting a friend who had become very very observant. She showed me the phone book. And in the yellow pages, there was a whole section of gemach organizations, of uh, uh, organizations that were devoted to, you need a baby carriage, call, call this number. You need, you need some food, you call this number. You need a this, you call this number. And the whole society was organized that way. Let's see. Joan wrote, so many of our religious concepts are so cerebral, it's wise to physicalize them by acting, thereby getting them deeply into ourselves and our intentions. Well said, Joan. And Ruth commented that her word about hospice was from her days working with Elizabeth Kubler-Roth. Joan said, yes, action, and it's the mind-body complex expressed as physical sharing with our neighbor. Thank you so much. Okay, back to our story. So here comes this camel caravan of kindness coming back with Eliezer. He succeeded in his mission. Oh, right. Sounds like the nothing, buy nothing Kingston Rosenbelt Facebook group, says Sarah. It's all folks giving and asking for free items, big and small. There were, I was reading about this. There are thousands of these groups around the country now, which are just dealing with uh, gifting with gifting. And um, yes, it's exactly like that. Isn't that wonderful? That impulse will not be squashed or free cycle. Sarah says, I give all the time and ask for things when needed. Oh, you're part of the group, Sarah. That's fantastic. That's yeah, great. I, I, um, I, I've given, yesterday I gave away frozen hot dogs. <laughs> I mean, somebody wanted, listed them and somebody wanted them and I included some other foodstuffs. And my, my most favorite is like, I had all, way too many tea bags and I posted it and somebody wanted it and she couldn't drive and she was only like two minutes away from an errand I was running in Kingston and I dropped them off. Like, I mean, how beautiful is that? Instead of putting them in the trash, somebody wanted them and could use them. You know, I don't know. I love it. No, you do know. That's a big deal. That is really good, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That is so good. <laughs> um, in, in our hyper, you know, the goal of, a, of, a, of an un, unfiltered capitalist society is to make you want things and then sell it to you. and so that's not, the, that's not the only way to run our lives. We know that. These acts of kindness, this whole kindness and gifting economy that we're describing here is, 
is an, just an incredible counterweight to the way, uh, the way where we are more than encouraged, compelled to waste things and also to consume things and to do it without a sense of being connected to one another. Yeah, Naomi, I guess we should look this up. It's called Buy Nothing. And one of the best uses for electronics. I'm glad our conversation's going this way. You know, so years ago, yes, Naomi. The, oh, I was just going to say, at the Unitarian Church in Kingston, there was a Buy Nothing Day on Black Friday. Maybe it's a tradition now somewhere, but it was so great. I went with, we went with our kids. They were little and picked up sleds and all this great stuff for Hanukkah, Christmas time, and dropped things off. It was just wonderful. A gifting economy. We can do this. We certainly have enough stuff to give away. Hey. I'm I'm moving and I posted I need boxes. Some guy four miles from me, four miles from me, had so many boxes that I'm using now to move with. Like it's great. It's fantastic, and it makes me think that it's also pre-political. Oh, yeah. It, you know, which is rare to find. It's hard to find these days. Yeah, and then you'll see people who want big things like I need a refrigerator. And somebody will say, hey, I have one in my basement. Come take it. Like, it's crazy. It's I love it. Oh, yeah. thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Buy nothing Facebook groups. Yeah, oh. you, have to, you have to, like, um, sign up for it, and they'll approve you, and they'll put you in whatever area you're in, and you can only be in one of them. Cool. So it's geographically based, which yep. reinforces both the ease of giving and getting and also the community feeling. Very much so. And then they really make a, a very clear, no money involved. Um, yeah. Ever. Mm. Thank you. So funny. I just read about that for the first time in, in, on the, in, I think, the New York Times the other day. Okay, beautiful. So I'm sorry, I, am, I didn't hear you. Would you mind repeating what you just oh, said? Oh, I had just read about Buy Nothing Groups in the New York Times a few days ago. I didn't know about them. I read that article as well, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. So I'm picturing this caravan of camels now coming back with Rebecca to uh, meet Isaac as like a caravan of kindness. The camels, the gamalim, are going to be gomlim. They will be bestowing the chesed that Eliezer was looking for in finding us a, a spouse, a mate, a partner for Isaac. And it says, now Isaac was coming from the, coming from the area of Be'er Lechai Ro'i, for he was living in that area in the Negev. Going out toward evening to stroll in the field, Isaac looked up and saw camels coming. And Rebecca looked up. And seeing Isaac, she got off her camel and said to her servant, said to Eliezer, who is this man striding in the field coming to meet us? And Eliezer said, he is my master. Taking a veil, she covered herself. Eliezer then told Isaac all that he had done. And Isaac brought Rebekah into the tent of his mother Sarah. 
He took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her. Thus did Isaac take comfort after the death of his mother. It's a beautiful image again. There's just so much gentleness in this portion. Love and kindness and sweetness. We hear that Isaac has been bereft since his mother died at the beginning of this portion, the ch two chapters ago. And so this mission that Abraham sent Eliezer on is a mission of also uh, helping Isaac to heal from his grief and his loss and to build his own life with a caring and kind partner because his parents, Abraham and Sarah, were renowned for their chesed as well. And so uh, Eliezer knew just what qualities to look for in searching for a, a, a spouse for Isaac so that Rebecca would fit in, mesh so beautifully with uh, this family. Well, I, I think that's all I really wanted to share today. So I want to bless you all uh, that you feel, uh, you feel uh, enriched by acts of loving kindness and, 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 and that we keep this theme of what makes a society a good society in the front of our minds and in the actions of our hands and anything we can do where we become vehicles for acts of loving kindness in our lives. And now I'm going to ask, I thank you for coming. And uh, um, now I'm going to ask if there are any people whose healing you're concerned for, including yourself, for whom we can say this healing prayer and send our loving intentions in their directions. If you want to type any names in the chat, please do. Rabbi Ellen is praying for Echazan Uri Michel Bemchnina, Linda Dias, Harav Miramial Batsara, Neshama Bat Lupa, Bina Bat Abraham, Chazan Jessica Leish, Miriam Yitzhaka Bat Rachel Bechayim, Joan Goodman for her daughter Kayla, who had some minor surgery. Sarah for Batya and Ozzy, for Lenny, Stacy, Ronnie, and Barry, and Rob for virtually everyone I know. I know what you mean, Rob. We are really, each one of us, in some level of uh, distress. Blaze for herself, for Nancy, for Aaron, Ruth for Michalas, Formas, Barry, Ronnie, Blaze, Chavarachel Batbatsheva, Nancy Martin, Joshua, Lloyd, Miriam Yael, Chaya Batsara. Yaakov, Sender, Benarab, Moshe, Kohen, Barachel, Cousin, Jeff, Khan, Sarah, for Alex, Kanto, Barbara, for Andy, and Barbara, Mermel, for both of you, may your spirits and your hearts find healing with us. Naomi McCann, for Susan Jacobs, Blaze, Catherine, Kayla, and Emma Schlan, and Sarah Alexander, for stress for herself. Joshua, oh gosh, I wish I could do more than pray, but you have all of my love and my prayers. 
Ruth, Susan Falk for Ruth, Blaze, Jeremy, Eddie, Marsha, Ronnie, Barry, myself. Yes, for Joshua. For Robertus Formas, Barbara Ross, Beth Murphy, Eleanor, Ellen Sorrow, that's from Cynthia Wertheimer. And Catherine for her daughter Leah, who has minor surgery. Thank you, Catherine. And uh, Josh, sorry, it's a tough day. Me May the source of strength who blessed the ones before us help us find the courage to make our lives a blessing and let us say Amen. Mi Bless those in need of healing with Shlema, the renewal of body, the renewal of spirit, and let us say Amen. Help us find the courage to make our lives a blessing and let us say Amen. I'm reflecting on Rob saying just about everyone he knows, on Sarah saying for stress, and then on me thinking about that Stephen Carter wrote that book on civility breakdown over 20 years ago. And I really want to invite us all, as best we can, to keep track, as best we can for ourselves and each other, of the ways that we're suffering from all this external distress that we have to deal with, somehow metabolize, somehow get rid of. I'm glad we're here together and I hope that this gathering really helps in that way.